welcome everyone. We're glad you're with us today. Is everyone doing good? Doing all right? Yes. Okay, good. Always is in, we always need a little reassurance with the masks and the and the and so many words. Wow, that was a lot. That it's a good thing. Christy has a, a lot of words at her disposal every day, so she's not out. So the, I'd be I'd be done for three days after that announcement. But um, thanks for thanks for being here. We just always need a little reassurance good with the masks, and if you're just kind of standing staring at us, we, we don't know if you're asleep or awake or um, not so happy you're in church today. So I'm glad you are with us. I think you're doing good, right? Yes, we're gonna have um, communion at communion at the end of service. So you should have got one of these. If you don't have one of these, the ushers can get you one. Here's the deal. I still have yet to figure out really how to open these things well. There's the little plastic tab on the top that gets you into the bread wafer. And then you pull the rest of the tab off for the grape juice. I know we've had some mishaps before where the grape juice went flying or we got grape juice when we were looking for wafer. So it's, we keep it pretty complex here at Homestead Church. So you can spend the next 20 minutes while I'm talking trying to figure out how to open those. We're going to have communion at the end of the service. We always want to take time every once in a while to take communion um, just as a, you know, we are instructed to in the New Testament as a way to remember what Jesus has done. We don't want to go too long without reminding ourselves what this really is all about. It's about the love and the mercy and the blood and the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us. So we're going to do that. It fits with our service, our sermon today. As we wrap up uh, four weeks that we have been talking in the books of First and Second Kings, and if you are just joining us for the first time, we've taken three, this will be four, um, stories from the books of First and Second Kings. In the Old Testament, the books, you know, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, this is a lot about the history of Israel when they had kings and King Solomon and David and Saul and then the divided kingdom where Israel and the northern kingdom and Judah, Jerusalem and the southern kingdom and they all had kings and some were good and some were bad. You also will find prophets, so the prophet Elijah, the prophet Elisha, if you've been around church, those are kind of names that you've heard before. All their stories are in these books, so they're great um, a lot of great stories, and we've taken four of them, kind of talking through some things, really with the overall theme of um, as we come out of a tough year, 2020, going into 2021, how are some ways that we can position ourselves to have greater faith, to trust God more, to have greater impact for him in the new year? So we've talked about the idea um, week one. We, we, you know, all throughout this series, we've talked about the idea of there's steps of faith that we need to take, that our faith needs to shine and stand out. In a world, and so today's story is found. We're going to start in the book of Second Kings, chapter six. That's okay. I'll keep talking. Second um, Kings, chapter six, verse twenty-five. Now, this is a part. Darren, you could just bump this up just a tiny little bit. This is a part of the story where Jerusalem and the Southern Kingdom, um, the enemy, this this enemy Ben Hadad, Aramites. We've seen them throughout our stories that we have read. They besiege Jerusalem and they attack Jerusalem. Now, what this means is Jerusalem is kind of the heart of Samaria or Judah. So that means some of the outer areas have already been conquered by Ben-Hadad. And now they've come to Jerusalem. It's kind of like the last stand. This is why cities in that time, day and age, would have walls built around them. So at this point, the army is surrounding the city of Jerusalem. They can't penetrate the walls. And so everyone, all the surviving um, Sumerians and, and people in Jerusalem, they're inside the city walls. And because the Aramites can't penetrate the city walls, they do what a lot of armies did then. They said, well, we're going to surround them. 
and we're going to starve them out. We won't allow anything in. We won't allow anyone to come out, and it's just a waiting game. So this is what's happening. Okay, and it's because all of this is happening, the economy and famine and poverty inside the city of Jerusalem, it is dire. There is no food. People are being starved out. Um, the king of Israel at this one time, um, he is walking around the city walls, and he's, you know, talking to the troops and making sure there's no breaches or weaknesses in the walls, and he's kind of surveying the situation, and he comes across a woman who is in distress because she has, you know, what they what, sh- what the king learns is that this woman and the families have started resorting to cannibalism because there is no food. And at this, the king falls on his knees, and he tears his clothes, and he cries out. And an interesting thing that happens is he threatens then to kill Elisha, the prophet. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure what Elisha had to do with anything, but it's pretty common in that day and age, and we see it in other parts of history. When things are going bad, you find the, the, the prophet or the Christian or the man of God or the woman of God, and you blame them because they have the inside track, and clearly God is, is causing this. So all of this is happening. The king is seeking to kill Elisha. There's poverty, there's no food, famine, even cannibalism. And this is what happens in 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to pick up the story in, I'm going to read verse 7. Actually, no, that was all in chapter 6. Oh, sorry, I skipped one part. Chapter 6, verse 25 is where I want to start with today. And it talks about this famine in Jerusalem. And there was a great famine in Samaria and in Jerusalem. And behold, they besieged it. The enemy came and besieged Samaria until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and a fourth of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. That's good. That's good scripture right there, right? You're reading that. You're like, why are we memorizing that passage of scripture? (laughs) Talking about dove's dung and a donkey. Basically, what they're saying is this. Food is at such a shortage that a donkey's head, now if you're going to boil and eat a part of a donkey, the head's probably got the least amount of stuff that you really want to eat. But even that, the lowest of the low, is being sold for great amounts of money. It's like GameStop stock this week where it's just like inflated value. And, and then it even says a, a fourth of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. That just means it's the lowest of the low and it's really expensive. And you're thinking, wow, that shows inflation, right? Because... I was at Whole Foods last week, and Dove's Dung was like $12.99 a pound. <laughs> Dove's Dung is not what it sounds like. Um, it's basically what they would refer to like a, a very coarse corn or like grain. It was just kind of the lowest of the low. So all this stuff, they were out of food where the worst of the food was being sold for so much money because that's all they had. In other words, everything is falling apart. The economy is completely falling apart. Everyone is starving. And they're surrounded by the army, and it's just a matter of time before they get starved out completely. Either that or they leave the city and then get killed by the Aramites army that is the Aramean army that is surrounding the city. This is the dire situation. Now, in chapter 7, Elisha steps up. Even though he's sought after by the king and the king wants to kill him, this is what Elisha says in chapter 7, verse 1 of 2 Kings. Then Elisha, who's the prophet, said, Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow... About this time, a measure of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. So why does everyone keep talking about food and food prices? Essentially, what Elisha is saying is this. One day from now, tomorrow about this time, everything is going to be better. Everything is going to be well. So much so 
that we're going to have so much food inside of Jerusalem that the economy is going to be better, that food is going to be normal priced, everything's going to be back to normal. This is impossible. Okay, this is impossible because even if that day, so they're, they're looking at whatever it was, afternoon, one day, and they're saying by tomorrow, even if they went out and conquered the army that night, which is impossible because it's a mighty army and they're just the surviving Israelites in Jerusalem. Even if that happened, it would still take days and weeks and months for them to be able to find food. It would probably be times for them, it would be months before they could have another harvest to get food. Um, there's no possible way that all of these things could happen so that tomorrow the economy is back to normal and food is, you know, thriving in the city. But this is what Elijah, Elisha declares. Tomorrow, all things are going to be back to normal. Okay, so that's what's going on inside the city. Now, just outside the city gates, and this is the really interesting part of the story, there is four men who are lepers. They have leprosy. Now, in that day and age, if you had leprosy, which is a terrible disease, not only physically were you, you know, very much disabled by this disease, emotionally, spiritually, you were outcast. You were seen as unclean. So they were not even allowed. If you had leprosy, it was you can't even be in the city gates. So these four men with leprosy could not even be in the city gates. So they're outside the city gates where normally they would sit and beg for food or money as people came in and out of the city. But nobody's coming in and out of the city because it's all locked down because the army is just on the outside. So these four men are, I mean, I, I find it humorous. I always like to look at these stories and kind of just imagine what's going on in people's heads. As we read through it, and there's these details. But I read about the four lepers outside the city gates who are used to people coming and going and asking for food. Now there's nothing. But they're also on the outside of the city walls kind of looking at the enemy army, just like, you know, hey, everybody. <laughs> you know, and, they're, and they get to the point where they think, well, what are we going to do now? They say, well, here's our options. We can stay here, and we're not going to get any food or money. We're going to starve and die soon. We can try to go into the city of Jerusalem. They're probably not going to let us in, but if they do let us in, maybe we can find something there. But then they th say, say, well, even if we get in there, they're all starving. They're all going to be dead in a few days anyway, so that's not a great option. So they decide maybe we can go talk to the enemy army, and maybe they'll have mercy on us, and we can find some food there. So that's when they get up, and they say, you know what? It's better to do something than nothing. So they go, and they go towards the enemy's camp, the, the camp where the army is, the, Ar the Aramean camp. And this is what I wanted to read in chapter 7, verse 5, as these men with leprosy go towards the enemy camp. And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. And when they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. The camp was empty. For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and the sound of horses, even the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. So in other words, the enemy army, the Arameans, they heard the sound of chariots and horses, and they thought, these Israelites have made allegiances with other nations, and they're coming to attack us, and they got afraid. Therefore, they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp just as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent, ate and drank, and carried from there the silver and gold and clothes. Because the Arameans, they left in such a hurry that they left everything there. All the food, all the silver, all the gold, all the clothing, everything was still there. 
When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from their silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. And then they returned and entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hid them. So this is like jackpot for these four guys, right? This whole army camp has been deserted, and they're just four guys, and they're just having the time of their lives. <laughs> Verse 9, then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is the day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So we're going to stop there. There is so much to this story. I love this story. I love picturing those lepers who for years, their entire, you know, who knows how many years they had spent begging at the city gate on the verge of death. They just say our last resort is to go try to have, get mercy from these Arameans. And they discover that they're all gone. And it's just food and silver and gold and clothing everywhere they go. And they're like, this is awesome, right? And then they finally realize we have to go tell the rest of the people because the rest of Jerusalem has no idea this is happening. They're still fearing for their lives. They still think they're days away from being starved out. So this is such a great story. There are so many things to this story. So I wanted to look at four points from this story as we go through um, and really take from there kind of how we can posture ourselves going into a new year, how God can kind of build our faith in the new year, and then end with a time of communion. But the first point is this. God blesses the lowly. God blesses the lowly. I love that it was the four lepers who got to experience the victory first. I love that they were the ones like walking around, enjoying all the food. They were the first to eat and be satisfied, first to find silver and gold, and the first that God said, you know what? You four guys have been really the outcasts of society for years and years, so much so that, the, that you weren't even allowed in the city. And God chose them to be the ones to go out and find out that the victory had been won. God chose them to go out and be the first to recognize that the, the battle is over, that Jerusalem is saved. I love that God uses those that the world just puts aside as insignificant or outcasts or the lowest of the low. And God says, nope, that's who I'm going to use. I love it. I love that you go through the stories, Old Testament and New Testament, even the teachings of Jesus. Over and over, we are taught God does not look at the proud and the mighty and those that the world looks at and says they have it all together. God looks at the humble, those who have been cast aside and shunned, those who have been overlooked, those who feel defeated and says, that's the ones I'm going to use. And with his strength and power and might, it's like they do great things. It's, it's backwards from what we think about in our world. But this is God's kingdom, that anytime you feel like you are cast aside, insignificant, all alone, poor, sick, whatever it is, you are in the position in God's kingdom where God says, I'm going to bless them. I'm going to use them. They're going to be the ones that discover the victory. This is awesome. And that's how God's kingdom work. And the alternate view of that is this. Anytime you elevate yourself and try to set yourself above other people and acquire status and power and a name for yourself and establish yourself as really something, God can't use that. That's backwards. That's missing the kingdom of God. I love that God's kingdom is that, is humble yourself. And when you're the lowest of the low, that's when God uses you. You try to establish yourself, God says, I, I, can't, do, I can't use that. I love that. That's God's kingdom. So perhaps 2021, as we're starting out this, we're a month in, all of us could have our lives come into alignment with God's kingdom. 
where we say we're going to spend less time trying to establish ourselves, make a name for ourselves. We're going to spend less time trying to find those around us who are powerful and popular or famous or have the means to, you know, the, the people who have the means to kind of elevate us. And rather, we're going to focus on humbling ourselves, being around the lowly, because that is how God's kingdom works. Amen? Not to, not to get, but to give and serve. Not to say, you're here to serve me, but how can I serve you? This is God's kingdom. And I love that God used those four men with leprosy to be the first ones to enjoy the spoils of a great victory. And here's what I, one other thing on that, that God blesses the lonely. If you're here today and you feel forgotten, invisible, poor, cast aside, that you've spent years outside the city gates where nobody even knows you're there, God's going to use you. God's going to use you. God has you right where you need to be for him to do great things for you. So that's the first point. God blesses the lowly. Second one is this. God's provision is unimaginable. God's provision is unimaginable. If you read on the story from there, what happens is eventually the lepers go and they tell the rest of the city, yeah, guess what? That enemy that you were fearing, gone, and all their stuff is there and all their food is there. So much so that Elisha's word the day before came true, where because there was so much food in the camp, not only was the enemy gone, but the whole economy of Jerusalem was set right, where there was so much food that as Elisha said, the next day, rain and flour and all the things were, were back. It was back to normal. The impossible had happened. There was no way that this could happen except for if the army decided to leave and leave all of their stuff there. Nobody would have thought that was a possibility. But that is how God used that situation to provide in a way that was unimaginable, impossible. God's provision is unimaginable. Elisha's word was fulfilled. It was like the ultimate, you know, stimulus money. It was a camp full of food and silver and gold and weapons and clothes and all the things that just, it set everything right in a way that nobody would have thought was possible. Nobody would have thought that was possible. So that flour and barley were sold for a shekel and nobody had to eat the donkey's heads anymore. Um, Christy and I have experienced this. I know many people in this church, many friends of ours have experienced situations like this where for whatever reason, you're in a situation where you have to trust God to provide. And we love to get very um, earthly in our thinking. And we think, okay, God, I'll trust you. So what this means is maybe I'm going to get that deal at work or maybe that other thing's going to come through. I'm going to get that promotion or this bill that I'm worried about. Maybe um, we'll, the, they'll be able to renegotiate or I can refinance this. And we, we put all of our earthly restrictions on how God's going to move. And we think, okay, well, that there, I don't know how that's going to work, but maybe it's this, 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 this. And we've got to get outside that box of thinking that God's provision only exists in, in the imaginable ways that we think it can exist. Because there's been times where Christy and I were like, okay, God, I know you're asking us to take a step of faith. And we think, well, maybe if this, this, if X, Y, and Z happens. And then God provides in a way that's so out of left field, we're like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Right? I didn't even know that was even on the radar. God's provision was something we could have never even imagined. And we're like, okay, so lesson learned. We have to stop trying to figure out how God's going to do the God things because that's why he's God. We just have to trust him. His way of providing is unimaginable. So if you're in a spot where you need God to come through, there could be something you're not even thinking you know, maybe you're going to find that you have GameStop stock from like years ago and now it's worth millions. 
you're going to find the little tag that has Bitcoin on it that, you know, you've had for years and now all of a sudden it's worth, you know, millions of dollars. You're like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing or whatever it is. Or some, there's going to be a phone call. There's going to be something that comes through and you're going to be like, God provided in a way that I would have looked at and said, there's no possible way. There was no earthly way that in one day that army could be defeated, vacated, and all the economy could be set right except for God. God's the only way that could have done that could that could have happened. God's provision is unimaginable. So put your trust in him. So God blesses the lonely, his provision is unimaginable. The third point is this. Don't fear a defeated enemy. Don't fear a defeated enemy. So there was that time in this story, and I think about this a lot. We don't know how long the the Aramean army had been gone before the leper guys realized it. But there was a time there where the people inside the city of Jerusalem were afraid about the army that was out there, and the army wasn't even there. They were fearing an army that had already been defeated. So they were cowering in fear at the city gates, worrying about food. The army was gone, and they didn't know about it. They were afraid of an army that had been defeated. They didn't know that victory had already happened. The enemy was gone, and they were still living in fear. We spend too much time worrying about an enemy that's already been defeated, right? We spend too much time thinking about a battle and wondering how it's going um, to turn out, and it's already been decided. So in spiritual terms and in practical terms for us, we have ultimate victory through Jesus Christ. Jesus has already won the battle. Now, we exist kind of like those Israelites in the city where you're like, yeah, they still have hunger and there's still bad things going on, even though the enemy had already been defeated. That's kind of where we live right now. Victory over sin and death and poverty and sickness and disease Every addiction, all of these things, victory over that has been won by Jesus Christ. Amen? We still kind of feel that weird kind of middle ground of, yeah, but people are still getting sick, and there's still violence, and there's still a lot of hurtful things going on in the world. And even though we're in that weird middle ground where we, we try to walk through life with faith, knowing, God, I know you've provided victory, it just doesn't feel like it right now. I'm still feeling all the, the hurt and the pain and the sickness. I'm still feeling those things. We walk through that kind of messy middle ground with a faith that, that allows us to walk in victory, even though we don't kind of feel it yet. Does that make sense? We don't need to be afraid of things that have already been defeated. We know ultimately sickness and death and poverty and everything has been defeated by Jesus Christ. And so we walk in victory, even though we're in the middle ground, knowing the enemy has been defeated. We do not need to be afraid of an enemy that's already been defeated. Amen? We don't need to fear these things. There's so much that we fear and spend time worrying about that we need not fear because that enemy is already gone. The and the fourth thing is this. So recap, we had God blesses the lowly. God's provision is unimaginable. Don't fear a defeated enemy. And the fourth one's in verse 9. I like, I like verse 9. It's those lepers, as they're enjoying the spoils of the victory, they said to one another, we're not doing right. This is the day of good news, but we are keeping silent. Those four guys recognized, ugh, here we are enjoying all of this stuff, and the rest of the city is still cowering in fear, and they're starving, and they're dying. It is not right for us to keep this to ourselves. we got to go tell the rest of the Israelites, the rest of Jerusalem, the good news. We cannot keep silent. That's the fourth point. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't keep it to yourself. We certainly understand in this story, in this context, that that's the right thing to do. 
Well, of course those four guys should go tell the rest. Why do they get to keep all the silver and gold and, and fancy food, right? We understand that. But yet in our lives, in our world, it's, it's easy for us to forget that that message still applies to us. We have the presence of God and the Holy Spirit in us. We know about new life and salvation in Jesus Christ. We have the ultimate good news. We, are, we have means of praying for others and blessing others and sharing our faith with others. We, just like those lepers, we cannot keep it to ourselves. We can't keep silent. We have to say, okay, we've, we've experienced the good news and we're enjoying all of this thing. We know the army's been defeated and we've got all these blessings from God and we have salvation and new life in him. We cannot keep silent because there is a world that is still hurting and needs to know it. Like those Israelites that needed to have the food brought back into the city. There's a world that needs to know life and salvation in Jesus Christ. We cannot keep silent. We cannot keep it to ourselves. We are the bearers of good news. Now, that even applies to the people that we don't agree with, that we have opposition with, that have wronged us, that we don't like. All the groups of people that we think, well, we don't really like them or this and that. All the ways that we try to divide everybody, that doesn't matter. Because look at these lepers. If there's anyone who had reason to look at the city of Jerusalem while they're enjoying all the fancy food and say, yeah, you dummies, you did it to yourself, right? Remember for our whole lives you made us sit outside the city and beg for food and you guys did nothing to help us? Now look who's laughing now, suckas. You know, it's one of those things. Like, we've got all the food, and you've got the doves dung in Jerusalem. You've got the donkey heads and all the... If anyone had a right to say, you know what? They mistreated us. We're going to enjoy this for a little while. If it was me, I would have been very tempted to say, let's at least give it a couple of days, right? <laughs> let's, let's see how much we can enjoy the food, and maybe in the morning we'll pretend that we're in the army and be like, hey, we're coming to get you. And then they'd be laughing like, hey. They still think that you didn't get them. If there's anyone who had reason to say, we're not sharing with them, it's these guys. So all the more for us. There is nobody that we can say, oh, I don't know about sharing with them or being a light to them. Everybody. We take that posture of humility that we were reading about earlier. We just say, we're, we're not about elevating ourselves. We're about how can I serve? How can I share? How can I love? This is the way of love that Jesus modeled for us. This is the way of love that this story teaches us, that God institutes throughout Scripture that we take the good news, we take what we have, and we share with others. We can't keep silent. Even with those who have wronged us or hurt us, we say, you know what? I'm going to at least share good news with them. The people that we disagree with, the weird people on Facebook, or your crazy uncle with his crazy views about whatever, we, we share our love and our views and our faith and our good news with them. This is the way of love. This is the way of love. So the best thing we can do as followers of Jesus starting in a new year, 2021, is to just position ourselves where we walk in the way of love. Where we walk in the way of love and say, what I have, I'm going to share. I'm not going to keep silent. I got good news, and I'm going to share it with everybody. This is how we can position ourselves for an amazing year where God can use us. Where we say, God, I'm going to love everybody. I'm not going to keep it to myself. I'm going to share the good news that I have with everybody. This is how God can use us in 21. The way of love, when I was reading this week, thinking about that idea of this is what the lepers did, this is what Jesus teaches you know, when you think about love in the New Testament, you think of First Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter. If you've been to a wedding, someone probably read this. First Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 is the start of this. And it just talks about the, uh, this idea. Before it gets into the love is patient, love is kind, and all those things that you've probably heard before. 
it talks about this idea of how we can do all the spiritual things. We can be all the great Christian things and do all the prayer and scripture memory, and we can um, behave well and not do all the bad things of the world. But if we don't have a heart of love, if we're not walking in the way of love, then we're just making noise, and it's not doing any good. I wanted to read those first three verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of man and angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if we're trying to speak on behalf of God, be a prophet like Elisha, saying this is what God is saying, this is the truth, but we don't love people, we're just making noise. I think maybe one or two people in the world are doing that today. Uh, next verse. And if I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all the faith as to remove mountains, if I can say to a mountain, be removed, I've got the faith that moves mountains, but I don't love people, I do not have love, and I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, in other words, if I lay my life down, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. And that's where Paul goes into that is patient and kind. It does not boast. This is the way of love, to lay ourselves down, to not be so worried about doing all the spiritual things or all the cares of the world. We simply just say, I can do all of these things, but if I don't walk in the way of love, for other people, for all other people, for laying my life down for other people, then then I'm just making noise. Then I'm just making noise. It's all useless. So I don't want us to be about doing all the all the spiritual things if we're not first and foremost walking the way of love. Like Paul teaches us, like those four men with leprosy modeled for us, it's not about what we get. It's about letting people know. So that's why I wanted to end with communion today because by now you've figured out how to open these things. Um, because this is the ultimate example of the way of love, what we're remembering today. Jesus, body and blood, broken and shed for you. If you guys, if anyone still needs a communion, I might just have, stick up your hand and the ushers will come and give you one. This is the ultimate example of the way of love. This is why we are here, because Jesus modeled it for us, laying his life down for us, not keeping salvation to himself, but pouring it out for other people. So I'm going to read one passage of scripture and then we're going to take the, the, the bread and the cup together. This is part of our scripture memory, which we're all going to do over the next couple of months, right? Amen. Uh, we can, put, can you put those words up on the screen from Philippians? This is part of the scripture memory that we're going to do. This is talking about how we can be like Christ in how we walk humbly and in the way of love. And here it is from Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Pause right there. I think if you summed up 2020 in one sentence, it's when the entire world stopped doing that, right? Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. So as we are about to take communion, let's think about how Jesus modeled this for us. Who being in the very nature God, in other words, he had reason to elevate himself. He's the son of God. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So let's do